0: mahatma gandhi said and i quote the sole aim of journalism should be service the newspaper is a great power, but just as an unchained torrent of water submerges the whole countryside and devastates crops even so an uncontrolled pen serves but to destroy namaste and welcome to the fourth episode of Bar at Law, Responsible Journalism, Media Trials, and Press Ethics. Today, we are joined by internationally famed journalist, Mr. Amitod Singh, who throughout his 14 years of professional career has achieved multifaceted excellence. Mr. Singh is a New York-based journalist who has reported for CNN, Columbia Global Reports, SBS Australia and India's NDTV. At NDTV, as news editor and principal anchor, he has anchored primetime shows like Trending at 10, Reality Check, and Good Morning India. He is also known for conceptualizing and anchoring the first Indian news show tackling misinformation. As an on-location reporter, he has covered a wide range of events and stories from the 2021 storming of US Capitol, the elections in India, the ISIS conflict in Iraq, the UN in New York, the World Economic Forum in Davos, misinformation from Facebook's War Room in Menlo Park, and the Cricket World Cup in Australia. He holds an MA in journalism from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism and has been a Dag Hammarskjöld Journalism Fellow at the United Nations. We are truly humbled by your presence today, sir. Thank you for taking out time from your demanding schedule, managing time zones, and joining us today. Welcome to Bharat Law.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to contest one thing that I don't think I'm an internationally famed journalist just yet. I've only practiced journalism in a few countries, but I don't think I'm famed just yet. So I'm international, but not famed.
0: So that is humble of you. So as uh, one of the most influential philosophers of law that we study, Austin, stated that for a law to be effective, it should be backed by a sanction. So, a gaze at Indian media, which we see plagued by fake news, sensationalism, distortion of facts. So, biased journalism continues even with the presence of institutions like Press Council of India, News Broadcasting Standard Authority. So, one reason may be that in spite of the presence of these institutions, They are handicapped in action as the norms established are mostly self-regulatory. The institutions have no punitive power to punish disobedience. So till what extent, in your view, is a stringent regulation necessary?
1: Alright, so it's important to understand the history of how television journalism was born. And the premise of your question could be challenged. When you talk about the Press Council of India and the News Broadcasting Standard Authority, you are giving them a certain amount of importance, which perhaps is not due. I say that with all respect for them, because they are not a regulatory body. They are guiding uh, us as television news channels and the media in general uh, with suggestions. They were never created with the intent of being, um, you know, involved in day-to-day activities or as a mirror onto the television news industry. You talk about stringent responses necessary. I'll get to that, but I just first wanna give some history. I think it all changed with America. And, you know, America has read quite often led Uh, the conversation around press freedom and, in general, freedom of speech. Um, The fairness doctrine of the United States Federal uh, Communications Commission, or the FCC, was introduced in 1949, and that was a policy that I believe, and generally scholars of media believe, that it, uh, it did the job of putting a certain amount of um, or rather reigning in the media to not lose its balance and not go off in some you know, strange sensationalizing direction. Uh, that policy was eliminated in 1987 and interestingly that's also the time CNN became the first cable news network around, and then a few years later there were these other networks like MSNBC and around the early '90s, with India, you know, evolving with Dr. Manmohan Singh opening up the markets, you um, had, you know, India's first broadcast news channel, private news channel, NDTV. Um, but even they were only allowed one show initially, and only after some time were they able to, you know, make it a 24-hour news network, which then proliferated the the rest of them. So democracy is relatively new. Democracy's principle is freedom of speech. Freedom of speech had to be staggered when you're communicating to the public through when, when a government is essentially giving the power to private individuals to communicate to the public and not holding the reins of that communication with themselves. Now the advent of radio and then television, and then, you know, all these mediums of communication have allowed these networks to to hold a very important place in our lives. Um, So democracy has evolved, the mediums have evolved, and now we are at a crossroads, at intersections, where we are asking the question, you know, we need a stringent response or not. Um, I think if the stringent response would have continued the way the FCC had done it earlier, uh, that would have been a message to the rest of the world because they usually look at America. Uh, it's a more advanced country. It won the world war for, well, the allies. So it's, a, it's the country that leads the conversation. It, it controls more or less, you know, all the institutions that are uh, representative of, of free speech, like the UN, for example. So, it's important to just understand that history. Now, given that history, um, what stringent response is necessary? i'm not so sure we need a stringent response i believe we need to rein in certain sections of the media but will that happen through a universal stringent response i'm not so sure and the reason for that is because we have a government that, right now that is essentially giving us the signs and you know this this is a pattern that i'm talking about where there is an intermediary tactic that's being used by the government and that intermediary tactic is essentially uh, you know not not bridging a trust deficit that is natural between the fourth estate and the government Um, the trust deficit is only increasing that's the problem so um, the stringent response sure uh, I think a response is needed I don't think it needs to be stringent Um, and I think The FCC, for example, had something that was about, uh, it required broadcasters to devote um, some of their time, their air time to discuss controversial matters of of public interest, right? Now that happens even now, so that part is being followed. But their second point, which was very important, which was dropped, was basically about airing contrasting views regarding these matters. And what you're seeing on both the left and the right, whichever way a network is leaning you're not getting a balanced view um, you're not getting the anchors are not allowing the speakers of um, you know uh, uh, let's say it's a left channel the right speaker is not getting the right amount of time and the, and, and the space to, to speak and similarly if it's a right leaning channel the left is not getting the airtime. Uh, now the problem with this is, and this is something that we can go into deeper, that, that goes into the, the question of fo- false equivalence. It's important for anchors, it's a, responsible of, it's a responsibility of journalists and anchors to essentially call out false equivalences that are made by any speaker on their show. And there's a lot of that happening. So. Okay, you want to make, uh, you want to have a response to, way, to the way TV journalism is functioning. Do it, but it cannot be stringent. It should be potentially what happened in the uh, pre-1987 era, that kind of uh, a regulation by the government.
0: So, but do you recognize that the trust deficit that you just talked about can be mended, if not from uh, with a stringent response, then with a regulation in place that keeps a check on these media channels of what is being aired and what is not?
1: I think this is a very deep question. Um, There are many elements that have to be factored in. The first is how the government, this or the previous, is trying to control the narrative. The second is, more importantly I think, The dependence that the tv industry tv news industry has on the government for revenue through advertisements or campaign advertisements uh, or um, you know um, schemes that the government puts out those are of huge monetary value to television news channels and third the public the public is not Valuing television news as it did previously because it has it on its phone now that, That that has had an impact on television news Because we're not getting the same revenue stream from the public through advertisements because people are not watching us as much and Because we're not we don't have the resources the monetary wealth to to create those resources that that creates a network or a system or a process of Due diligence and 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 a methodology a system within the news channel that that at every step you know fact checks everything for objectivity that system is destroyed or deteriorating fast and the government doesn't care and the public doesn't care and that's a part of the equation between trust and trust deficit um i think We have to, um, I think everyone has to play a role. The television news industry has to, you know, tie its shoelaces tightly Um, and has to try to be better. The government has to um, not um, be intimidatory and control, try to control the narrative through um, action that it suggests against free speech. Um, Because, you know, there's a ripple effect. If they arrest activists, then it is creating a fear even for television channels. Because there have been instances where even television channels have been have been, you know, have had cases against them recently in modern India. Because freedom of speech was understood. It's what made us get our independence. And in terms of the public, the public needs to understand and value that television journalism is is a profession that is considered a noble profession. Journalism was considered a noble profession. But when you're going to not value that profession because you believe that you're getting the information and you know what's right and you don't trust um, journalists for the hard work that they do in getting you that information and then fact-checking it, then you have a problem. That's, That's the issue
0: so here if we discuss a little about the canons of journalism which was originally propounded by the hutchins commission at that time uh, too when they were uh, discussing about it they did talk about the power of the unconsolable pen because whatever you show whatever you write will be perceived as true by the viewers by the listeners So, in today's scenario, as you said that there's a lot of uh, responsibility, there's due diligence that has to be carried out. But we do see a habitual splouting of ethical norms by the television channels to win the TRP race, to gain more viewership, to gain more advertisements. So, what measures do you think are necessary to curb this yellow journalism that has been going going on for a while?
1: know I don't have experience in regulating the media what I do know is that what you are calling yellow journalism um, is a I mean there are many truths to this one of the truths is that the public is getting what it deserves if you have elected a certain government in any country in the world then you are responsible for what the government is doing that's one truth it's also another truth that You don't know what the government will do once they're elected so you had hope and that's not your fault fair yellow journalism is a problem of the value that the public and the government is giving journalism the public is not valuing journalism because this is a growing society india is still a developing country you know money is not something that is easily available to most households most households cannot prioritize receiving information and When you cannot do that, you are going to get third-rate information. That third-rate information is going to become yellow journalism. Journalism or journalists need to survive. And it's like, you know, leaving the battlefield for now so that you can live another day and come back and and fight again because you need to survive. So you are allowing tabloid journalism and yellow journalism to survive. Now, the problem is that they are still, television channels are still seeking profits because they need to keep up with the times. And when they need to do that, they need to project an image that they are watched a lot. And because they need to present that image, because at the end of the day, even journalism has become all about profit making. They need to make sure that the companies that want to advertise on their networks are aware that they are the most watched. To be the most watched, this vicious cycle you know comes in and they have to you know make sure that whatever they are showing it just makes the viewer think oh my god and that is tabloid journalism that is yellow journalism i just want to throw some light on how that that's that's the equation of the public but the equation of the government is completely different you see this is not to be seen as an india problem this is a global problem governments forever Even monarchies, forever, have used information to sow mistrust and division within the public. Now, there is a saying by the World Economic Forum that we are in the fourth industrial revolution, which is the digital or technological age. That age is an age which has developed what an author by the name of David Sanger called the perfect weapon. And The Perfect Weapon is a book that he's also written and a documentary also on that. Um, And that talks about cyber warfare, how it's being used by governments to win over their own public or by um, enemies of different countries. So like Russia using this against America or the Indian government using this against its own people. Both are happening, and that is important to understand because that perfect weapon is basically the use of misinformation to sow mistrust in the information channels, whether it be from the government, from Facebook, from Twitter, from TikTok, from um, uh, you know the, the, the newspapers, from the television media, the digital media once you start to doubt these or these these platforms that have been the sources of information once you can sow that mistrust then you don't believe anything when you don't believe anything you don't know what to think and when you don't know what to think you start to think the prime minister or the highest leader in the country is the one that you know who obviously cannot be lying and so we got to follow what he's saying and and that's what happens now. Russia obviously used it to influence the elections in 2016, where there was this active campaign against Hillary Clinton, which has been proven. Uh, it's been proven that Russia was involved, uh, and this has been happening in Europe for a while. And the Cambridge Analytica scandal was all about that. Cambridge Analytica was a company that went to governments and and important individuals and said, "Listen, you give us money, we will influence." the voter and the public through facebook algorithms we will try to through algorithms we'll be able to understand which way they lean and if they are lying on the fence we will move them one way or the other by feeding them that kind of information so that is the level at which misinformation was being used and now that it in 2018 when it, when people woke up to it and understood what was going on action has been taken which is why there is this whole movement in america where there is action being taken taken against you know the ceos and all these big big tech companies the big four you know apple microsoft google facebook all four are facing action and there will be a, a regulation that will be coming very soon the framework of that is very difficult to pull off because you want to find that balance so you know yellow journalism is, is the least of our problems there is much more that's out there
0: Right, so as you said that there is misinformation and also as we are all in a state of pandemic, so there are uh, lockdowns that are happening, people are at homes. So if we see that from past year to this year, we we are made to believe what we see on the news, be it the statistics that are there for infected cases or other uh, facts that are uh, thrown to us. For instance, that misinformation that you spoke about has sprouted to media trials. So, uh, if I were to tell you that uh, recently the Bombay High Court, it has come out with guidelines after seeing these media trials uh, flouting the news channels. So, uh, the Bombay High Court has come out with regulations upon how the news anchors or news uh, primetime news shows have to report the ongoing police cases. For example, if I tell you that uh, there was a death of a well-known celebrity called Sushant Singh Rajput, and his death was discussed and in fact converted to a primetime show. There was a time where you could actually tune into the news channel, and for an hour they discussed over the so called suicide that was committed by the actor. So, the statements of the prime witnesses were discussed, the evidences were uh, discussed, and the judgment had been passed even before the charge sheet was filed. So you have experience of reporting both in america and india and as you said that we have uh, the world as a practice can look up to america for starting new practices so at this point i would like you to draw from your experience and tell us about the rampant practice of media trial that is going on
1: okay there are many parts to the question and first you said was that you know the public is made to believe something yes partly that's true and i'll explain just why but it's also something known as confirmation bias wherein we have our own ideological point of view and we want to believe and we are basically interpreting whatever we read the way we want our truth uh to fit into that piece of news when you said the public is made to believe That is actively ongoing across the world, governments and oppositions, both are doing it. But it's well documented that the BJP, the Indian government, for example, uh, is way ahead of any of the other political parties in India when it comes to using or rather weaponizing social media um, misinformation um, or, you know, making people believe what they want to believe. There's a difference between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is when you share a WhatsApp with me, Shivani, inadvertently, without knowing that this is false and without an intention of trying to change my mind with some unknowing false information, right? You did it without knowing that this is false. Disinformation is when you are either creating misinformation or rather when you you are creating some false news, and then, you know, spamming it to the rest of the world. Or you know something has been created, it is false and you share that. That is when you are doing disinformation. And what is actively ongoing right now, on by all political parties, is this form of disinformation where you have war rooms. And I have covered these in elections in India. From all parties, wherein they are employing young, Tech savvy, computer savvy individuals, and they are making them make hundreds of accounts on all these big platforms: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, whatever. And making them, you know, share those messages all across the world, just forward, 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 create memes that are that for example, the image of Papu for Rahul Gandhi was created by, you know, certain sections of this political uh, you know atmosphere and, and and galaxy that we live in in india so they created an image of the guy and similarly you've had images of people being created or you know images everything everything is image A lovely film called kosla ka kosla has that dialog and that is the reality now You talked about media trials. Media trials historically have worked in favor of the public. Whether it be Nirbhaya or Jessica Lal. Alright? There have been times when the media has held the powers that be accountable. Rande Basanti was a movie that showcased the power of one film can motivate and inspire a country to to get on the streets and create an atmosphere of protest. The Arab Spring had had that the media has played a role citizen journalism has played a role so media trials is not a bad word or a phrase media trials is something that needs that is needed because the system the court system the legal system is flawed it is corrupted it is slow it is um you know in cahoots with the government Uh, When you have four Supreme Court lawyers uh, making that point about the scheduling of how and the allocation of cases. I think this was a few years back when they held a press conference for the first time. Supreme Court judges got together and held a press conference against their chief justice. You know, you have a problem. So the legal system is flawed and therefore you need a media trial and you need a media trial sometimes. I understand that the media trial in the Sushant Singh Rajput case became an act of desperation from certain media networks to change the narrative, or rather change the focus of the country from an ongoing once in a lifetime pandemic, because something that the government was mismanaging and has mismanaged. And and, And so this is well understood that the government, I don't remember the government or the leaders Ever saying that why is the country focusing on this when we should be focusing on saving our lives? Why did Prime Minister Modi not say that? You know because it's it, it helped these 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 political uh, entities continue to uh, live with impunity, and and that is the issue, and the public fed it, it just just gobbled it all up. Now you said this. Um, I mean look at the hasrat case for example the hasrat case was like that now internationally you said you want me to draw experience on that what is the black lives matter movement it's a it's an amalgamation or a collaboration between um protesters on the ground and activist organizations and the media giving them the space to have their say the media was not conducting a media trial for the black lives matter Uh, protest movement it was essentially this the activists now the Black Lives Matter movement has become potentially the largest global movement ever okay and that is not something that happened because the media contributed to it it happened organically right and also um, the media raises thoughts and, and, and um, you know, is is constantly um, trying to progress the conversation, um, call out the obfuscation, um, make sure that the op- opaqueness, see what, what governments constantly do or political spokespersons constantly do is throw so much information at you that they blur the truth. They remove the black and white and they give you grey and it's the responsible of the media to call it like it is. So, for example, CNN and Fox News in America had to make a decision on the day the Capitol was stormed and I was there. I was at the Capitol when it was stormed by supporters of Donald Trump after a Donald Trump rally just a few hundred yards away. And January 6th was the date that was chosen because January 6th was when they were going to ratify the results of the election which Donald Trump believed were fake, which had been rigged, according to him. But there's no widespread, you know, uh, there's, there's simply just no evidence of widespread, um, um, uh, you know, um, <laughs> miscounting of, of the election results. Um, there's just no evidence of that but he managed to convince these people and I was there and they stormed the capital now they did that the media had to make a choice that day whether to make this a media trial or not and each section of the media made its own decision the CNN decided to call it insurrection alright now insurrection is a very strong word very strong word if you look that this is a violent uprising against a government. Now, Trump's supporters I spoke to the next day were suggesting that no, it's not that. We were just trying to tell these guys that this is not their capital building. It's there because we pay for it through our taxes and they need to act. Now, that's some elements who claimed that they did not go inside the capital, who kept protesting outside. But they were those who went inside. People died. You know, they were shouting slogans against Nancy Pelosi. They wanted to take certain politicians and kill them. Now, that qualifies in some definition as an insurrection. But when CNN called it an insurrection, Fox News refused to call it an insurrection. All right. And at the same time, when the investigation authorities got into uh, gear uh, later about what really happened and they wanted to conduct, you know, this kind of investigation that usually happens after such, uh, you know, earth-shifting, earthquake kind of moments, Um, they set up the Senate committee of the US government, uh, decided not to use the word insurrection in their report. So you know, you you need the media for this. So the media trial concept, I don't think it's rampant, rampant. It is needed. Yes, certain sections of society are, 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 are uh, you know, making sure that the public's focus is not in the right places, um, and the public needs to realize that, and the public needs to value those news channels that is very clearly having that balance of covering a story, just the right amount it is needed to be covered, but the public, and Indian, India, India has a history of seeing like, you know, when you're walking or you're driving somewhere and you see an accident or you see two people fighting. You know, this this habitual nature of Indians to stop and watch them is reflected in television news. It's exactly what they do. They like to see people fighting. And that's just a sick thing which is going to change through education. Education is not being invested in, but defense is being invested in the world over, particularly in India and the US, because once you educate the public, they will not be malleable. You cannot make them think the way you want to think them as governments usually do. So politicians are not going to put you know, the value that education requires on it. And that's, that's the vicious cycle that we exist in
0: okay so as you said that media trial should not be viewed as a bad thing but don't you think that there should be a fine line where reporting ends and trial starts because in cases of uh, suppose the Sushant Singh Rajput case was a Uh, suicide that was committed according to the news channels shown so if you actually come up on a national news channel and show that okay these are the witnesses there's a very well possibility that those witnesses can turn hostile you are taking statements from them you are discussing evidences the evidences can be managed so before the whole case reaches the court the judgment is passed so what is the fine line according to you that There should be between freedom of press, as our Indian constitution, it does give give freedom of press, but there's also control on free speech. So how is the balance to be maintained?
1: That's a very difficult question, but first I just want to point out again, it is not the television channels that are doing this uh, without some direction. The television channels that did this in the Chansing Rajput case did this, like I said, to distract the public from an ongoing pandemic which was being mismanaged. That is the only obvious conclusion that one can come up with. Yes, there's no evidence to back this theory. Well, sure, but there is very little evidence out there when you have a prime minister who's not held a press conference in all his time as a prime minister in the world's largest democracy. Are you serious? So obviously, there's going to be a limited scope of information that we're getting. Now, you you said what is the fine line? If you are going to expect the television channels, look, it is the responsibility of television channels to adhere to the ethics of journalism. No doubt. Have they? No, they haven't in most cases. Have some of them? Yes, some of them have. And that needs to be recognized and we don't need to have all television media or generally media, being painted with one brush. Three distinctions need to be made. There is television journalism, there is is print journalism, and there is digital journalism. Within these, there are many other distinctions that need to be made. You cannot club everyone in one, you know, bracket. Um, Within television journalism, almost 90% of the TV networks right now are leaning towards the right. And, and 10% are leaning towards the left. And when you have that kind of a problem, then you can, you can, you can, you can call it, uh, you know, um, this kind of, um, media trial, or you can say, well, they're just right leaning. So, you know, they are, they are always bashing whoever's on whatever issue it is, you know, just bashing it from one place to the other, because that's what gets them the TRPs. At least that's what they think. That's what keeps every everyone distracted. So, the fine line needs to be drawn. But who is going to draw it? Is it this government, which is right leaning, that has given their blessing to these networks? I mean, so who's going to... The question for me is not about whether there should be a fine line. Sure, there should be a fine line. Who is going to implement it? Who is going to, you know, craft it? Who is going to... Do I trust that entity? I don't. And that is the issue. I mean, I just wanna make one more point. Like the media trial concept has its cons like we just talked about, but it has its pros too. It's important that we don't forget. I think this was a saying by a philosopher. He said something to the effect that believing that the science of argumentation is the greatest instrumentation that can be used in the cultivation of mental alertness. So what he's making the point is that when you have people arguing about a certain issue, okay. It doesn't need to always be projected as a negative thing that people are fighting, but when people are arguing, it is also an instrument that makes people take notice. It makes people alert to something that's happening now it is We've had a situation where the Me Too movement, you know, has gained a lot of attention and rightly so. But in your, in, in comparison, you've not had any attention that's been given to, let's say, the suicide of young boys and men. Right. So, there's there's no equivalence there. And what this did was, it it threw some light on the challenges of general social life for young men in india in a society where taboo is a, is, is, a, is, is a reality where there's extraordinary pressure on young men to make it not as much on women and at the same time to have so now i mean are we going to do a media trial on why is it the me too movement doesn't uh, gets more attention than uh, you know the female suicides no you will not because that is a false equivalence because Suicides of young boys and men is a recent phenomena in comparison to the Me Too movement's concerns. The Me Too movement is it, has been ongoing, I mean, women have been oppressed by men, forever. So, you can't make a comparison between the two, which is why the media gave more attention to the Me Too movement, but it it, it, it did not give as much attention to this. So. It's a very tricky thing to do, you know, but all I'm saying is we need to be, as the media needs to be adversarial sometimes. We need to do that in a civil way. And the problem is that we're not doing it in a civil way. When you have television channels that are talking about Sushant Singh Rajput or something like that. You know, I met Sushant Singh Rajput. I was on a stage with him. I interviewed him in front of an audience of 35 people, 30, I mean, 3,500 people, I think. And he was a very charming. and completely normal person and I couldn't believe when I heard about it so it is strange to me uh, that the society is not noticing signs whatever signs there are and we are asking we're putting all the blame or rather a lot of the blame and a disproportionate amount of the blame is being put on the media when the media everyone knows is being controlled by the government so where, why are we directing our anger towards the media we should direct it towards the powers that be and that doesn't happen because everyone is scared you will not see these days you know social media platforms where Instagram or Twitter or anything because everyone knows yeah the government could take action against them there'll be a UAPA against them
0: so uh, you talked about the three different medias we can differentiate so if we talk a little about digital media So as you said that there's immediate access to it. So the digital media very often is seen slaughtering principles of journalism. We see the paparazzi culture, which was seen a few years ago in America. I'll come to that later. And we see it very prevalent nowadays. So they report everything from a celebrity stepping out to going out for dinners. So there's a disruption of privacy that we see. There is lack of sensitization in reporting cases of suicides or rapes. For example, there has been a lot of uh, talks about how a rape case should be reported, whether the victim should be named or not. So these are all aspects of responsible journalism that we see. So what are the aspects that we need to inculcate in our system for a better functioning? Can we be or draw inspiration from functioning of press of a particular country, that is not if perfect, near perfect?
1: Yes, we can. But how much inspiration can we draw? And I'll give you a small anecdote to explain what I'm saying. In 2019, I was, you know, Uh, at a town hall meeting at NDTV and uh, all the reporters, producers, top editors, we were all discussing our our, our, uh, collective strategy as a channel uh, to tackle the heavy uh, election season that was going to come in 2019. Um, January this was, I think. And everyone spoke for an hour, gave ideas and, you know, one of the editors looked at me and asked me, I you why haven't you spoken because I'm generally somebody who partakes in these kind of conversations and I speak my mind. And I was you know I just said, I don't know what all of you are talking about because this is not gonna work. You are not being able to ensure that the truth is filtering down to the public and they are actually believing it. It's just not happening. You might be going and doing great stories, but the public, believes that you are a network that is, for example, leaning towards a certain side. And therefore, the journalism that we are doing is feeding into what is known as a feedback loop. Those who already believe what what we think and what we are saying in our stories, they are watching us, but not those who, who need to see a different side of the truth and see the false equivalence. They are now watching you. So how are you gonna change that narrative? And the other thing I said was that the public doesn't really know what is going on because there is there is such a storm, a tsunami of information of alternate views that is being put out there through acts of disinformation, WhatsApp groups, et cetera. So I was the next day, you know, told that, okay, then let's create a show that tackles misinformation and for the rest of the election season, three, four months, that show went on air and I conceived it and I projected it. Now, did it have any impact? No, it did not. Again, I don't know if it did, but like, I can't, because if, if, if there were things that were happening, there was only so many external factors, Bulwama, you know, so many things that were happening that, that, that you cannot diagnose what made the election go in the direction that it did. But one show on one network, on an English speaking network in a country of people where mostly people speak Hindi, is obviously not going to make a dent. But it was an effort. And that effort turned out to be a realization for me that journalism or television, digital, print, is just not equipped to tell the truth. We're either not good enough or we don't have the resources, or we're not believed, or it is all of these as, as separate truths collective, collectively creating that problem. And so I went and I decided to go and become a better journalist and better thinker. So I went to Colombia, I went to New York and I covered the American election. Um, I went to Iraq and I covered, you know, the ISIS genocide committed by them against a community called Yazidis that the world doesn't even know about. They just think they attacked Iraq. They didn't. They attacked. I mean, they did attack. It attacked Iraq, but the uh, the greatest impact uh, devastation that was caused by the ISIS was against the Yazidi people. And people think it was against Americans or Iraqis. I mean, that's ridiculous. And that's the reality of mainstream media. We don't, you know, we don't tell something that is is perhaps uh, too difficult to understand or complicated to explain. Um So when I got there, I realized that we can draw inspiration from America on only one aspect. Let me make this right clear. India India's news networks are polarized, you know, one leaning towards the right and the left. But Americas are way worse. Fox News is in one direction. They are running towards kanyakumari and CNN is running towards you know Jammu and Kashmir, complete opposite direction. In our case, it's like they're probably sometimes meeting at West Bengal, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. So you have that issue, That but the good thing is that in America, you will not have an individual, either an activist or a journalist who will be held responsible or will be arrested by the government for speaking their mind, however ridiculous what they say is including, including their own president. when President Trump made ridiculous remarks about the election. He's still not been arrested in any other government across the world. If you did that, you you have a huge chance of being arrested based on creating um, or or fueling um, doubts in the process of democracy and and creating the foundation of what could become uh, an uprising, and therefore an insurrection, and therefore you could be arrested. That's the argument that other countries would have given to arrest someone like Donald Trump after the elections. You see, right. now that's that's not happening in America. In fact, it's happening. There are there are there are um, there are certain instances maybe not at the same scale maybe at a very small scale that reflect that freedom of speech is not as um, as treasured and cherished um, as as it is in America nowhere in the world is it like that and that's the basic thing sure you have some of the Norwegian countries that are showing uh, better examples but their challenges are a lot lesser so we can't make a um, a fair comparison right? um, so it is important to understand that that's the biggest inspiration we can take because in india you're having activists being arrested you are having all kinds of things with journalists. yeah i mean you know you had a journalist recently in up arrested um, you know so these kind of things are happening and talking about digital news the new rules i don't You know, I have not read them in details, but whatever I've read and I've spoken to some people who are leaders in that um, space. uh, This information technology rules act the guidelines and digital media ethics rules of 2021. It basically empowers the Indian government to censor digital news media. And, you know, I think the Time um, article talked about how this is authoritarian and talked about how these rules are coming at a time when tech platforms are facing uh, threats of uh, regulation by America and other Western governments and that includes hate speech and you know misinformation and incitement to violence but they make the distinction that that's different that what's happening in India is is worse because this according to them um, doesn't have a framework um, that will allow um, for uh, a clear mechanism for these companies uh, to push back against unlawful government demands. So like if I spread misinformation on WhatsApp, they can you know call up WhatsApp and say, um, you know you need to tell us who who spread this misinformation and you yeah. need to find out this guy. Sure. And WhatsApp's policy is encryption and therefore they cannot they don't know really who came up with it. I mean, it's it's not, it's again, um, intellectual property rights for them that they cannot reveal their secrets of whether they actually know or they don't they, said so they don't know. And in that case, what can you do? So for Twitter, it's different. If I do the same thing on Twitter, they, they, they can shut me down and then the government can arrest me. On Facebook, it's different. So they are demanding that we take action, you know? But the problem is, how do we push back if there is something that is overreaching by the government? Like I've done something, but it shouldn't be a reason to arrest me. Then there will be overreaching from the government because they just want to, you know, clamp down on any kind of um, in any kind of dissent and that is a problem. So, you know, this is this is a time when we are facing uh, The greatest challenge for information i believe and i don't trust the government and i don't trust just not the indian government i don't trust any government because they need to create many more forums and and they have you know they've sought feedback from some tech experts and i've actually been part of those so there is an earnest effort but we're not seeing results of suggestions being accommodated and that's the problem
0: Right. So with this, we come to the end segment of today's episode and your experience and knowledge sharing has significantly contributed to making each one who is listening this a responsible and aware citizen of how much to absorb off a news channel. So any last thoughts you would like to leave the listeners with?
1: You can't expect an Indian government, whether it be the previous government or this, and both have done it. Although you can't make an equivalence because this government is the master at spreading misinformation and, you know, that was not the age of technology as much as it is now. You cannot expect that Indian government that has used misinformation as a weapon to put regulations on the media or tech platforms, because that would be like the pot calling the kettle black. If they want to regulate us, then they need to regulate themselves first.
0: Thank you so much, sir, for uh, gracing today's episode. We are truly honored by your presence.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Shivani. This was a thoughtful discussion.
0: Yeah. So I ha- I leave you with a thought. Until we meet again, to work your gray matter. Each time you watch a sensational news, how smoothly does it transition your thoughts to believe? Guilty until proven innocent, from innocent until proven guilty.